Welcome. Uh, my name is Ron Cole. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. So I was thinking about this Christmas season. One of the things that crossed my mind, and, and it's true every year, there are so many good things about Christmas. And I hope you enjoy so many of those things. All right, there are so many good things. I want to just list some of them. Near the, the top of good things about Christmas for me is going to be family and friends. Maybe you have that, uh, the fortune this year of having the kids come in from out of state. Ours aren't going to make it this year. But, but even get together with the family and friends that we have here in the area. There's something wonderful about just gathering together and sharing time together. And, 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 and that togetherness is one of the great things about Christmas. We make time for each other. Of course, presents are a wonderful thing about Christmas. Uh, getting them is good, but, but as we learn, as we grow older, giving them is even better. The joy of, of giving a, a very good gift, a, a, a really the exactly right gift for someone is such a, a, a good thing, such a valuable thing. It's so much fun. It's so good to give a good gift to those who enjoy it. Food, of course, is always something that makes for a great time. Huh? Uh, many of us have traditional Christmas foods. Maybe it's uh, turkey, maybe it's ham, maybe it's lasagna, maybe it's enchiladas, maybe it's Chinese takeout, whatever it is for you. I hope you enjoy that. That's a good thing. Music, whether it's cr traditional Christmas carols or whether it's brand new songs, music is a part of what we celebrate. And then the lights that are on the trees, that are in the homes, that are on the homes, candles, that are, they're just so many good things about Christmas. And as I say, I, I hope and pray that you enjoy so many of those things, all right? But I have a deeper prayer, and, and my deeper prayer is that we don't miss the best thing, that we get the thing that is most important, that we need the absolute most. And what that is, the Apostle Paul says, is God's grace. I love the way Paul talks about, uh, about Christmas. You know, when we listen to Matthew, when we read Luke, those stories, we, we read about shepherds and they're beautiful, right? Shepherds and stars and angels and wise men and, and virgin births and, and the baby in a manger and all those things. And that's a wonderful thing. Paul never tells that kind of a Christmas story. No, when Paul tells a Christmas story, he says it in really interesting ways. One of the times he talks about Christmas is when he's writing to his friend Titus. Titus was another pastor whose church was going through struggles and challenges. And, 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 and so Paul writes to him to encourage him and, and, and to encourage what, him and, and what he's supposed to share with his congregation. And in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, you know what, you've got to remind them over and over and over again about what has happened. And, and he puts it this way. This is Paul's Christmas story. For the grace of God has appeared. That's what happened on Christmas night. That's what we celebrate, that the grace of God appeared. And, and that word appeared is actually one that I think we could translate in a little stronger way because it also could be translated, the grace of God has broken through. It was a word that could be used for the, the, the moment, <laughs> that time of a day when after a long night, when it's been dark and it's been cold and the sun starts to, what do we say, right? Break through, Right. It's the breaking of a new day. It's the, the bringing in of a new day, the sunshine that starts and breaks away the darkness and, and pierces that. Or, or on a day when it's been cloudy and gray and, and rainy all day, and then the clouds break up and the sun again breaks through. For the grace of God has broken through. Paul says that's what happens on Christmas. God's grace breaks through. In the birth of Jesus Christ, God opens up the heavens and God's grace comes down. And in that baby in Jesus, in him is God's grace. 
All that God will do for us, all that God has done for us, all that is in God's grace. God's grace has broken through. But what is that grace? What is that grace involved? Involve. The Apostle Paul, when he uses that word, he uses it to kind of capture everything that God has done and, and is doing for us in Jesus Christ. In, in this passage in Titus, I find three things. Three things that Paul says God's grace brings to us. And I just want to touch briefly on all three of them. First of all, Titus says to, Paul says to Titus, God's grace is pardon. God's grace is the forgiveness of our sins. God's grace is the announcement that even though we have been wrong, even though we have failed, even though we have sinned against God and against each other, even though we've done damage and done things we shouldn't do, and we've failed to do things we should have done, even though we have done that, we are forgiven and our sins are washed away. They've been paid for and we are redeemed. God's grace is pardon. And I need that and so do you. The fact of the matter is, for the last 30, 40 years, we've kind of been raised in a culture that says we got to tell kids and, and we've done it and it's not all bad, but, but you're so great and you're wonderful and your self-esteem should be really high. Now, on the one hand, it's true. We're created in God's image and that makes us of amazing value. Every human being you meet is created in God's image. But the fact is the Bible makes clear that each and every one of us, we're sinners we're failures. And deep down, I think we know that. Deep down, we know that we've sinned. Deep down, we know that we've failed. We try to deny it. It's not fun for us to admit this. We try to deny that. We don't like to admit it. And, 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 and ever since the first sin, way back in Genesis chapter 3, way back at the beginning of the Bible, ever since then, there have been strategies that we've tried as human beings. Strategies to try to get rid of that feeling of guilt, try to get that rid of that sense that we're sinners. The first one that has tried, and we all still do it, is we deny. I didn't do that. I never said that. I didn't mean it that way. You're the one who's taking it wrong. It's not, I did not do that. I wasn't even there. Nope, I was. And we deny, and we deny, and we deny. And sometimes we do it so well we convince ourselves. Until there's irrefutable visible, visual evidence. And we have to confess, okay, I did say that. I did say that. When we can't deny, we turn to the second strategy. We turn to blame. Okay, I did that. I said that, but it's not my fault. If you hadn't started the fight, if you hadn't said that, you know what pushes my buttons. You know what makes me angry, and then you did it. And so am I really responsible? No, it's your fault. If the kids would pick up their toys, I wouldn't be ornery when I came home. If I didn't have to come home to such a mess, I wouldn't be so ornery. Hey, look, boss, it's not my fault. They, their department, they didn't, they didn't have it done on time. It's all their fault. And we blame and we blame and we blame and we blame. But deep down we know it's not always somebody else's fault. Sometimes it is, okay. But it's not always that way. And so then we turn to the third strategy. And that is we compare. Okay, yeah, I yelled, but I didn't hit you, okay? There are a lot of guys who hit others, okay? I didn't, I didn't do that, and I, and I, yeah, okay, so I drank too much. Do you know how many people drink too much? Do you know how many people drink more than I do, drink more often than I do? I, I mean, okay, so sometimes my language is a little bit off, but you should hear that person talk. She curses up a blue streak. I'm not as bad as others. 
We do all of this because it's so hard to admit our guilt. We do all of this because we so much hate to just acknowledge that we're broken and we're sinners and we keep failing. And what you and I need tonight and what you and I need every day, not more excuses, not better comparisons, not someone new to blame. Friends, what we need is grace. What we need is the grace that came to earth through Jesus Christ, who was born to die so we could be forgiven. Titus 2, verse 11, again. For the grace of God has appeared, and look at what he says. The first thing he says, that offers salvation. That grace offers salvation to all people. And that salvation is first and and primarily, in some ways, the forgiveness of our sins. When the angel came to Joseph, Matthew tells us this in Matthew 1, 21. When the angel comes to Joseph and says, okay, Mary's pregnant, and I know you didn't, it's, it's by God's spirit, and she's still a virgin. He writes this, he says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Yeshua, Jesus, which means he saves, because he will save his people from their sins. And that's what we need. First, and perhaps even foremost, we need saving from our sins. We need Christ to die for us. That's what Paul comes back to in Titus 2.14. Jesus Christ gave himself up to redeem us. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all unwickedness. Jesus was born to die so that we could live, so that we could be forgiven. And friends, as much as you want to say it's everybody else's fault, will you just please, what I beg of you tonight is to experience real freedom. And real freedom, the Bible says, comes only one way. And that is when we confess our sins and ask Jesus to take care of them. We need that grace. We need that hope. Uh, Almost two years ago, in February of 2021, almost two years ago, there was a sheep uh, that was found uh, on its own in Australia, okay? And, and the sheep had been lost. It had gotten away from the flock. It had been lost not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, not for six months, but they're not sure, but probably six years. They don't know who the original owner was, but probably six years. They named the sheep, and I apologize for this, but Barak, okay? They named the sheep Barak. You can look Barak up on the internet. But Barak, after six years on his own, looked like this. That's amazing. Barak had, had, had just grown all this wool. And, and as they discovered it and they went through it, they discovered that this wool was, was just dirty and mildewy and smelly. And, and it was filled with twigs and leaves and all sorts of unbelievable insects. And it, it was just this burden. When they found Barak, he could hardly move. They don't know how he survived as long as he did, but he could hardly move because of this amazing amount of wool that he was carrying. They took him to a shearer, and that shearer cut off, wait for it, 78 pounds of wool. And this is dear little Barak after that. Can you imagine what that would have felt like? They said that Barak, who could hardly stand because of all the weight, because of all the pressure, was able to stand. And it wasn't long before he was frolicking through the fields where he was joining the other sheep. And it was like this unbelievable burden had been lifted off of him and he was absolutely free. And friends, that's what it's like when we know the forgiveness of our sins. 
when we know that we are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, when we experience God's grace, when we are redeemed, to realize I don't need to deny it, I don't need to blame anybody, I don't need to compare it, I, I can just confess it to Jesus Christ. Because God's grace has broken through. God's grace has broken through. And we need that grace, friends. So grace to you. Grace to you who need to hear that word of forgiveness. Grace to you who need to know that it's all right, even though you've been all wrong. Let it go. Let it go. God has. If you've confessed those sins, you no longer care. They no longer define you. You have been redeemed. And in the eyes of God, in Christ, you are righteous. Oh, I need that. You need that to let go of those burdens and to be free. God's grace is pardon. The second thing that God's grace is, is, is power. Now, the Apostle Paul talks about it in two ways, but in Titus, he only talks about it one. I want to mention the other one, but not to spend a lot of time on it because it's not in Titus. But, but one of the ways that God's power is with us. In pardon, God looks back to what we have done and he washes his, the sins away in the blood of Jesus. And now in power, it's God's presence with us. It's the presence of the spirit of Jesus Christ. And that power allows us to do two things. The first one is this. It's the power to endure. We live in a broken world and, and not only do we sin, but we are sinned against. There are times when we are hurt. Some of you have gone through unbelievable stuff just in this past year, just in this past month. Hurt, pain, brokenness. And sometimes it just piles up one after the other. And it feels overwhelming. Not our guilt, but just the pain of life. But Jesus Christ is God's grace that gives us power to endure. Paul talks about this in Philippians 4. In Philippians 4, he talks about his life and he says, you know what? I, I have had times when I have been on top and times when I've been on the bottom. Times when I have eaten filet mignon and times when crusty bread would have been a gift. Times when I had good, good resources and times when I had none. Paul says, through all of it, I have learned one thing, that God's grace goes with me. And Paul says, I can. I can do all this. I can endure all things. That's really what he's talking about. I can endure all things, the good, the bad, all of it. Why? Through him who gives me strength. How? Through him who gives me strength. It's through Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus Christ that Paul says, God's grace is sufficient for me. And I can endure the struggles of today because I know God is with me. That one, he doesn't mention in Titus. In Titus, he's more interested in this second one. And what it is, is God's power with this. God's grace is God's power to change. Power for us to change our lives. Power for us to become and begin to become the people that God created us to become. The fact of the matter is, again, we all know we're guilty. We all do things. We, want to, they're all, we all have things that we want to change about ourselves. We do. You do, I do. There are times when we get mad and we don't want to get mad like that anymore. There are times when we are quiet and we shouldn't be quiet. We should speak up. There are times when we're just ornery and we don't want to be that way to the people around us. We all have things we want to change. But the reality is, the Bible says, and it's true, we can't. At least on our own. On our own, we can make surface changes. But without the grace of God, 
without the grace of God that broke through in the birth of Jesus Christ, without Christmas, without God's incarnation coming to be with us, we can't change. Let's go back to Titus again. 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And then it goes on. Verse 12, Paul says, It, God's grace, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. God's grace teaches us to say no. It teaches us to turn our backs on those things that are so tempting but so bad for us. God's grace, and I promise you this, if you learn to walk in step with God's grace, if you learn more and more to allow the Holy Spirit, little by little, I'm not saying you'll get it perfect, but you will learn to say no. There are wonderful moments in my life. They're small, they're not often enough, but wonderful moments where I find that, you know what? I didn't do it wrong. I still do it wrong enough, but there are times, those moments when I I know that the Spirit is teaching me to say no to those things that are ungodly. And then to say yes, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The Holy Spirit can help you change. Again, don't expect it to happen overnight. Don't expect to become perfect before you die and, and are completely transformed into the image of Jesus. But little by little, you can become more of that person who is, well, showing the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness, self-control. I want to be that. In Michigan at this time of year, we sometimes see a scene that looks something like this. A field where there are, uh, well, just it's virgin except for one set of footprints. And I think it's safe to say that almost every time I see something like this, almost every time I see something like this, I think of a story. It's told by a pastor from Wisconsin by the name of Stu Briscoe. Stu Briscoe, he's a pastor in Wisconsin. And one day when he was driving, his kids were younger, driving through the fields of Wisconsin, and apparently they get some snow there as well. But he said he was driving and all of a sudden he was looking at this field and it was just perfectly covered, just no marks in it at all. He got a brilliant idea. He stopped, pulled over, and he got out of the car. His wife looked at him and kind of shook her head. And he said, I got an idea. And so he gets out and he walks out of his car, okay? And he, and he goes over to the field. And what he does is he starts and he takes the largest steps he can take. And I'm not going to take them too big, but the largest steps he can take. And he makes a circle and he comes back to the door. And, and he opens up the car door and he gets his son, one of his boys. He was eight years old at the time, something like that. And he got his son out and he said to his son, you know what, I want you to, I want you to follow in daddy's footsteps. I want you to put your feet where I put them. So the eight-year-old boy started to just walk like this. And, and Briscoe grabbed him and said, no, no, I don't want you to follow the truth. I want you to follow my footsteps. I want you to, to do exactly what I did. The son looked up at him and said, dad, I can't. I'm, my legs are too short. You're too tall. I'm too short. It doesn't work. His wife was inside going, uh, hello, is there a reason for this? And he says, watch, you can't on your own, but you can with me. And he took him and he put one of his feet, his left foot on, on Briscoe's left foot, his right foot on his right. And then he made the same path, holding onto his son's hands and returning to the beginning. And he says, that's how the Holy Spirit works with us. On our own, we can only do these little steps and we fall over and we make a mess of things. But God's grace has broken through. God's grace has come through Jesus Christ. And now his spirit has come, has broken through to be with us and to help us to become who he created us to become, to say no and to say yes. So for all those of us who are struggling 
to try to be the husbands, the dads, the grandpas, the moms, the kids, whoever you're struggling to be the best that you can be. Grace to you. Grace to you. Jesus Christ was born so that he could live in us to change us, not on the surface, but in our hearts and bit by bit as we surrender more and more of our lives to him, more and more we experience his power. So God's grace is pardon. God's grace is power. And one more, God's amazing grace is promise. It's a promise of what is to come. Pardon looks back, power is for the present, and and the promise is for the future. Again, let's look at verse 12. We start there and then go to 13. But it, God's grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And we just looked at that in this present age, right? Yes to, yes to self-controlled, uh, upright and godly lives in this present age. While, verse 13, while we wait. We work, God produces righteousness in us, godliness in us, while we wait for the blessed hope while we wait for the promise, while we wait for the future. And what is that future? That future is, well, it's the appearing, Paul says. It's the same word, right? It's the breaking through. Because what's going to happen is God broke through once and he's going to break through again. The breaking through this time of the glory. Of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, what Paul says is, you know what? God's grace is there to change us, to strengthen us, to empower us while we wait. While we wait for Jesus Christ to come back because Jesus is going to break through again. There is a day coming when he is going to come back and he's going to tear open the heavens and he's going to break through and he's going to put an end to all that's wrong in this world and he's going to make all things new. John tells us about this in Revelation 21. We think about the first coming of Jesus. We think about the second coming of Jesus. Revelation 21 says when Jesus comes again, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things. It's passed away. It's interesting when the Bible talks about the world to come, about heaven, about the new heaven and the new earth. It struggles, I think, to try to capture it. It says, you know, there's not this there, there's not that there. There is just beauty beyond what you can imagine. And I think in a sense, the heart of the message about the promise of God is that it's better than we can imagine. And one of my favorite places to see this is in the last book of C.S. Lewis's Narnia Chronicles. It's called The Last Battle. <laughs> these, story, these books tell the stories of, of Narnia and kids who visit there and, and what Aslan, the figure of Jesus Christ, does to save them and then empower them and And in the last book, they fight the last battle and the the kids die. They die in Narnia and they die in our world. And they go to the new heaven and the new earth. At first, they think they're in the old heaven and the new earth just cleaned up. But they realize it's no, it's not just cleaned up. It's perfect. It's new. It's better than they'd ever. Everything looks brighter. Everything tastes better. And they keep going further in and higher up. And at the very end of the book, Lewis writes that, that Aslan, who is that lion figure for Jesus, that Aslan is speaking to them. And, and, and here's what he says happens. And as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can truly say that they lived 
they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. Think about this, friends. As good as this life can be, this is what he writes, all their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. All of our lives are just the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's grace. That's our hope. It's better than we can imagine, friends. It is better than we can imagine. God's grace is promise. God's grace is an amazing promise. So once again, I say to those of you who feel hopeless, to those of you who feel like you just can't keep going, remember this, grace to you. God's grace is his promise that one day all things will be made new. God's grace, Paul says to Titus, is pardon. God's grace is power. God's grace is promise. It's what I need. It's what you need. There are so many good things at Christmas. I hope you experience them. But friends, the best, the best is God's amazing grace. The best is this baby who came to live and die and rise again so he could wash away our sins and pardon us, empower us for today and come back and make all things new. Friends, that is the gift that will make all the difference. Can you see him? Will you receive him? Let's pray together. Father, again, there are so many good gifts. We thank you for them. And as we enjoy them, we, we just pray that you will bless those things. But Father, the gift we really need is the gift of your grace. The gift of all Jesus is and has done and is doing for us. The gift of forgiveness, the gift of pardon and power and promise. And so Father, right now, in the stillness of this moment, we say, come Lord Jesus, come into my heart, come in today. Come in to stay. Grace, God's grace in my life. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.